Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for tonight, God. I thank you for this word that you just put on my heart, Father. I just pray that we would um, just receive it tonight, God. I pray that you um, would speak to us tonight, Lord, by your word, by your spirit, God, and we would just have our ears open to hear what you have for us, Father. We would receive it with joy in Jesus' mighty name. So we are continuing in the book of Acts. Chapter 25, and I'm going to finish up. Um, I'm going to finish up chapter 25, and I'm going to read verses one through eight of chapter 26. And it's um, Paul is before uh, King Agrippa here. Um, if you've been following along with us, Paul has been in a series of trials, and there's five trials, and this is the longest one that Paul has to endure. It's the longest and the most elaborate of all of Paul's trials. So starting in verse 23, it says, So the next day when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city at Festus' command, Paul was brought in and Festus said, King Agrippa and all men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not specify the charges against him. (laughs) Wow. Then Agrippa says to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem and all the Jews know, they knew me from the... From the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? King Agrippa, right? And this is the son of Herod Agrippa or the famous King Herod. Okay? So he was very familiar with Jewish religion. He, uh, he was the one persecuting the Jerusalem church. He had killed James. He had Peter in prison. It's the same King Herod. He was well acquainted with Christianity. He was well acquainted with the ways. So Paul is defending his Jewish roots as a Pharisee, right? And he's on trial for the hope of God's promise to all of Israel. This is what he's saying. He said, we share this same hope, Israel. Israel and I, we share this same hope, namely that God would send the promised Messiah that was foretold and foreshadowed in the Old Testament to rescue and redeem his people. And Israel was still eagerly expecting the fulfillment of this promise to which Paul Paul proclaims this hope has already been fulfilled. He said, this hope has been fulfilled in Jesus, whose resurrection was the proof 
of his messiahship and the pledge of our resurrection too. Why should anybody think the resurrection to be too incredible? The title of my sermon is The Incredible Hope. Where's my, where's my, gra- look. <laughs> kind of play on words, right? The incredible hope. And this is our incredible hope, the resurrection. Yes. The greatest event in the history of the world that Christ overcame the grave and he, he went up to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to come live inside of us. Without the death and resurrection of Christ, we have no hope. We have no hope. We have no Holy Spirit. We have no forgiveness of sins if Christ did not rise. Romans 8, 23 and 25 through 25 says, Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we are saved in this hope. We are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. Hope that seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he hope for it? So hope is not seen. But if we hope for that, we do not see. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. When we have hope, we can expect and confidently anticipate that the good things in the word of God to become a reality in our lives. The amount of hope working in our heart determines how we view the circumstances around us as well as how we view our future. The amount of hope that works in our heart determines how we view our circumstances and our future. And this is the difference between faith and hope. Right? Hebrews 11 says, uh, now faith is the substance. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. So hope is the substance. Faith is the substance of hope. Faith is that substance that we're hoping for. And this is the difference between faith and hope. Hope is a future reality or experience. Right? Hope is not seen. So we know it's a future reality or a future experience. It's something that we look forward to. It's something we desire, expect, or anticipate happening at a later time in the future. At some other time, right? Because hope is not seen. Hope is not seen. So presently, in the now of our life, we are not experiencing it and we have not received it. Otherwise, it's no longer hope. It's a reality. It hasn't manifested or become a physical reality yet. The things we hope for then, we're not seeing them physically in our possession or having happened. But faith gives us the confidence. It's that full assurance, that fully persuasion, that I know that what I hope for will happen. Because hope is not a hope-so hope, it's a no-so hope. It's not a hope so hope. It's a no so hope. And the resurrection gives us incredible hope for this life 
and in the life to come. Right? Jesus said, if you will only believe, you will see the glory of God. I love that. And I ran out of that grave. So what hope does the resurrection give us? I'm glad you asked. The first thing that hope of the resurrection gives us, it gives us an incredible hope for a changed life here and now. Here and now. We don't need a changed life in heaven. We'll be changed. We need a changed life here and now. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. John goes on to say, And every man that has this hope in him, in Christ, every man that has this hope in Christ purifies himself even as he is pure. So then, because of the resurrection, we have hope that we can purify ourselves like he is pure. That's what he's saying. So those who have this hope in them, the hope of that resurrection life of Christ are to purify ourselves and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That is our hope that we can live a changed life. Because a resurrected life looks differently. We're not the walking dead. We're not zombies walking. No. We've died and been made new. On, uh, in um, in uh, Luke records this in, in chapter 24. You don't, you don't need to bring it up. It's verses 13 through 35. And Mark records this as well. It's the walk to Emmaus. And maybe you remember that walk to Emmaus. is after the resurrection of Christ. And, and Christ is walking with two of his disciples. And they're talking with him. And they, says they don't recognize him. They don't recognize him. And Mark records, it says, after this, he appeared in a different form to two of them as they were walking into the country. So even after Christ was resurrected, he came in a different form. Because a resurrected life looks differently. A resurrected life looks differently. And if you don't look different after having proclaimed Christ, have you truly been converted? Because a resurrected life looks differently. Have you truly been converted? Because Jesus gave parables about incomplete conversions. Some seed fell on hard ground. Some seed fell on the rocky, the rocky stones, and there was no depth in them. So you see people that will spring up immediately, and they're excited. But as certainly as offenses come, they fall away. Why? Because there's not a complete conversion. They get excited about, they get excited, but there's no, there's not a real conversion that's taken place in them. They haven't truly died to self. We were just talking about this tonight. Interesting enough. They haven't really died to themselves. So they're incomplete. 
In John 12, 24, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So he says, unless you die, you can't produce fruit. You can't. There's just no way. You have to die to yourself. And the hope of the resurrection is that we can live in the here and now as a changed man. And that should excite some of us. Because I can tell you, I did not like who I used to be. I don't want to have anything to do with who I used to be. I don't want any resemblance of who I used to be. And if you don't have that same thing in you, I have to wonder. I have to wonder, have you really changed? Do you know what your old man was like? Do you know what he looked like? Do you know what he acted like? Do you know what he thought like? How do you want to be, how do you want to have any kind of resemblance of the old man? Paul told the Corinthians, he says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Yes, we are also, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If there's no resurrection, there's no new man. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Colossians says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is the hope that encourages us and assures us that we can change outwardly into Christ-like behavior. We can have Christ-like behavior. We can have Christ-like attitudes because the hope of that change and potential for that change has been put in us by the Holy Spirit. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory, the hope of becoming manifested outwardly, all that God says we already are, inwardly in Christ. We have been freed from sin and made a new creation. We're not the walking dead. You, You cannot clean up the outside and not have the inside clean. It doesn't work that way. You know, there's a lot of things that people can do to the outside that makes them look differently. You can, you can clean up the outside and you can look differently. You know, you can say, you know, I'm a servant of God and I'm doing this and that. But if nothing changes on the inside, you've not been converted. When we, be, when, when we become frustrated with ourselves, not changing in our conduct or our attitudes and our words, we have to be able to hope that we can change. Yes. 
Anybody else get frustrated with themselves when you don't change? Maybe things don't change fast enough. Or you find yourself that you're still doing the same thing time and time again, right? You keep failing. You keep struggling. You keep feeling like giving up or giving in to despair. We have a hope that we can change. That's the hope of the resurrection is that we can change. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory, that I can become like him. We don't have to hate ourselves. We don't have to get into self-hatred or diminish ourselves. Because the hope and potential for change is already in us and been made available to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have hope we can change. Lamentations says, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Beautiful. Though the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Praise God. God. Hallelujah. Because his compassions do not fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That is my hope. I might have failed yesterday, but my hope is in today. I can rise up and keep going. It's Josiah. (laughs) Great is your faithfulness. Because here's what I know about the Lord it is possible for anyone to be given and to change, to be anyone to be forgiven. It is possible for anyone to be forgiven and anyone to change if you have been converted. Absolutely. And listen, I do not buy into the the I cannot change mode. I don't buy into that at all. If you can't change, you may not be saved. Okay? That's what you got to look at yourself. You got to ask yourself, why am I not changing? Now, I have seen slow at change, but slow change is still change. Slow change is still change. But if you're the same 10 years from now, something's wrong. Something's wrong with you, not with him. Because the power of the resurrection is power to be a new creation. It's power to live a new life in Christ. It's power to overcome my flesh. It's power to overcome sin. The Holy Spirit is an agent of change. Yes. Yes. And God is committed to our becoming Christ-like. Yes. Yes. See, God's more committed to it than we are. Yeah. <laughs> God is committed to our becoming Christ-like and he won't give up on us and neither should we give up on ourselves. That's why it says the righteous man falls seven and gets up eight. You get up. You fall, you get up. You fall, you get up. You fall, you get up. You keep going. But here's what I know. Some people just want sympathy. And their heart and their minds not really wanting to change. Because honestly, maybe they don't even believe that God is all-powerful and almighty and able to change. And so by your own thinking and your own words of God cannot change me, you are limiting God's ability in your life. 
you limit the ability to do, for God to do the miraculous in your life. The problem is not with God or his ability or even his will, but in your lack of understanding the nature and character of God. Or, or maybe you're just unwilling to do the hard work of disciplining your flesh. Maybe you just lack the discipline to do the hard work of disciplining your flesh. That's part of this Christian walk is disciplining our flesh. Have you sought the Lord? Have you truly sought the Lord? You know, and listen, I, I, I watch people. I'm a people watcher. I watch people. I watch what they do. I watch how they act. I watch what goes on with them. And the people that are continually in the house of God at this altar and worshiping. And they, it, I'm not talking about hanging around the outskirts. There's a lot of outskirts people. I call them outer court people. They want to hang around the outer courts of the sanctuary. They don't want to get into the inner courts because they don't really want God to change them. They want to stay the same. So they hang around the out courts because they love what the church provides. They love, they love the people and they love the fellowship. They don't really want to change. And to change, you got to go into the Holy of Holies and you got to humble yourself and you got to go before them and you got to crucify your flesh and you got to die to your selfishness. Fasting and praying. Are you fasting and praying? You know, one of the things when I first got saved and, 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 you know, I came out of life of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That was my life. I mean, I lived full on in the world. if If it was in the world, I did it and I took part in it and I loved it. And so when I came out of the world, I literally... I, I did nothing, but I, I worked, I went to school full-time, and I, went to, I was at church every time the doors were opened. And when I was home, I didn't watch TV, I hold myself up in my little bitty, ask Matt, how small, my, my room was a jail cell size. Yeah, probably, probably bigger jail cells. And I would pray for hours. And hours and hours. I would pray for hours because I, I, just, I, I, I just wanted to be changed. I wanted to be different. Are you confessing your helplessness? That's part of humility is confessing my helplessness. I can't do it on my own. I can't change myself. Can a leopard change his spots? No. A leopard cannot change his spots, but the Lord can. Have you waited on God? See, this is a big thing. God wants you to wait on him. And we want to run out and do our own thing. Do you go to the wicked for help instead of the Lord? Do you obey what he asks of you? That's going to be, that's going to be a big thing. You know, the, the Christian walk is a narrow road. It's not easy. It's dying to ourself. I die daily. When's the last time you sat still in his presence? Sat still in the presence of God. Sat still in the presence of God. Talking to him. Letting him love on you. Letting him minister to you. This is, these are all part of the Holy Spirit changing us. And you can't just come into church and hang around the things of God and expect you're going to change by osmosis. It doesn't work that way. 
It doesn't work that way. God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. For whom he foreknow, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. See, God is committed to us being conformed to Jesus. Being conformed to look like, act like, speak like Jesus. He's committed to that. He's working on us, working in that direction to get us to be like Jesus. But we fight him. We'll, we'll fight the Holy Spirit. And, and, you know, and sometimes God just, sit, he'll put his hands up and say, if that's what you want, I'm going to give you that. Yep. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Amen. That is our hope. That if you want to change, God is all there for you. Man, he is full-on committed to your change. He's committed to you becoming more Christ-like every day. The second thing that the resurrected uh, resurrection brings is an incredible hope for a promised future. Hope is a future reality and experience. It's something we expect and anticipate to happen, right? It's that anticipation, excitement of waiting eagerly for something you know is going to happen. You know is going to happen, right? It's imagine having a a, a front seat. You have tickets, you know, on the 50-yard line to your favorite team at the biggest game of the year, right? You've got tickets. You're just waiting for the time and place. You're just waiting for the date and time to come to pass. It's a done deal. You have the tickets. Everything's set. You're, you're in. Right? That's it. That's hope. That's hope. Anticipation. Like, I know this has happened. I got tickets. I got tickets to the Super Bowl. You see these babies? 50-yard line. Because you know it's going to happen. You have it. And that's what hope is. It's, I know this is going to happen. I know this is going to happen and you anticipate it. Romans 14 says, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So show thou seed bees talking about Abraham. And this area of hope is from God's promises in scripture and given us by the spirit. This was a promise uh, uh, in scripture. It was a promise to Abraham it was a, uh, the, the word of God spoke to him and he said, you're going to be the father of many nations, Abraham. And Abraham was like, okay. <laughs> I don't see it. I don't know how it's going to happen. Well, we know he tried his own plan for a, a brief moment. That didn't work out very good, did it? Romans 15, 4 says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of scriptures might have what? Hope. So when we read scripture, when we promise in the scripture, it's supposed to give us hope, right? And this is biblical hope as opposed to natural hope because there's a difference. There's a difference between biblical hope and natural hope. Right? Where it says, right, of Abraham, who contrary to hope in hoped believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. So natural hope is based on natural knowledge and information. It's natural knowledge and natural information, right? So say like, you know, Pastor Kevin has a real estate business. And say, um, what if I told him, I know someone that wants to purchase a million dollar home from you. (laughs) 
information causes you to get your hopes up. Million dollar home? What's the commission on that? But natural, you get your natural hopes up. But let's say days later, you found out he only qualified for a $150,000 home. Hope goes down. That's natural hope. Because his, his, his hope was built totally on natural knowledge and information. And when natural hope is gone, it's natural to say there's no hope. But Bible hope has nothing to do with natural hope. In Abraham's case, all natural hope was gone. The natural information said, your body, Abraham, is dead. (laughs) And Sarah's womb is dead. You cannot have a child. But the promise of God came and said he would be the father of many nations. And he could have hope based on that information. And so he decided to believe that information over the natural information. Because biblical hope is believing that God's plan, God's timing, his ways are better than we can think or imagine. And we we, we don't see these things because hope isn't seeing, remember? But it's having the faith that God knows what he is doing. And there's a hope of good things to come in anticipation of something miraculous according to what God has said. Psalm 119, 49, 50 says, Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. Just stop there for a minute. He says that, Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort and my affliction for your word has given me life. So we get comfort when we remember God's word. It causes us to hope and it brings us comfort and it helps in our affliction. And hope cannot coexist with fear. Because fear will choke out hope. Fear will choke out hope. And it displays a lack of faith in God and his word. I don't know. Everybody knows what's going on right now with this, you know, stupid virus, right? Uh, We were at Costco on Monday and... uh, the Monday, Monday after payday is just our day to go Costco. We go once a month to Costco. Literally, that's it. I don't, I hate going to Costco. I just, oh, we went, we go once a month and you know, we, we pull up and I'm like, what is going on? We got to park in the back 40 and we come in and I mean, it was just a madhouse. And then I see people walking around with at least every, every cart almost had like four cases of water. And we're just like, what do they do with the water? Do the faucets still work? <laughs> like, what, what, the toilet paper, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, and you know, I, I was like, this is just craziness. Yeah. This is so fear-based. And, and I was, you know, I was thinking, you know, does everybody know what the number one cause of death is in America? It's heart disease. How come people aren't out there eating better, exercising, stopping smoking? Because that's the real threat. Like, I'm like, come on, people. Because fear has torments. 
Ruhe. Ich bin out there running. And fear also has the potential to shut you out of heaven. This is one of my scariest scriptures. In Revelation 21, 7 and 8, it says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Perfect. That's beautiful. Beautiful. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God. Oh, I love that. But we can't stop there. Go on to verse 8. But the cowardly. That means fearful. Those that operate in fear. And, and, and I want you to know, this is not like a sudden fear that just arises like, you know, a sudden fear. It's people that operate in a spirit of fear on a regular basis. And it's right next to the unbelieving. It's in the same thing as the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the, the sorcerers, witchcraft, the idolaters, and all liars. The cowardly, the fearful are right there with all that list of people. That should put some fear in you. If people fear God, you wouldn't deal with any of that. You have to get rid of fear because fear is going to choke out any hope. It will choke out your hope. The last is that we have an incredible hope for eternal rest and reward. In 1 Corinthians, before you pull this up, you know, uh, years ago we had a, a young man, and he was 19, and he got um, liver cancer. And I remember um, during that summer before he died, we, we had seen him, and, and my husband even said, man, he looks yellow. And he didn't know anything was wrong. He literally had a stomach ache one day, went in, and the doctor said, you have six weeks to live. And our church gathered around and prayed over him and we were believing God to heal him completely. And I believe in healing. I believe that God is our healer. He's a, he is a healer. I, I have seen him remove tumors from people's skulls. You know, uh, God is a healer. So, so just because something doesn't happen the way you want doesn't mean God doesn't, is not a healer. And we prayed for him. We gathered around him and, and he died. And I went to his uh, hospital room um, right before he passed away. He was, a friend's, he was a good friend of Pastor Christian's. Pastor Christian was a young man at that time as well. And I sat there with him. And this is the scripture that God had given me after he passed away. It says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall it be brought to pass the saying that is written, O oh, de death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. And this is our hope. 
We don't, we, we, we don't, we don't grieve like men that don't have hope. When someone dies that knows the Lord, we don't grieve as the world grieves. We know that one day we'll see them again. One day I won't have to put up with my body anymore. I don't have to put up with pain. I'll be free and I will put on immortality. And there will be no more pain and no more tears. Blessed be God, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begun again, us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm not going to remain in the grave. I'm going to rise up with him to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I have a hope that I have a reservation in heaven that's waiting for me. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so because of that, he says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen, for the things which are not seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Folks, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's waiting for us in heaven with him. That is an incredible hope. If you close your eyes. just want to take a moment and invite you if you feel like you have lost hope call out to him tonight he is our hope he has hope for a future for you he has hope that you can change there's hope that you can be like him there's hope for your family there's hope for your life there's hope for your marriage there's hope for your children don't give up hope he is the God of all hope if you feel hopeless tonight call out to him in your helplessness and let him come and minister to you hope let this word minister to you hope tonight If you've been far from God, there's hope that he will forgive you. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen. You don't have to say, I've, I've gone too far. Folk, friend, there's nowhere that you can run that you can't come back from. You're never too far to come back to God. There's no sin he won't forgive. Just call out tonight. If you would just repent and come running back to him.
He's there to meet you with open arms. There is a hope for your future. It's not done. It's not over until God says it's over. As long as there's breath in you, he's not done. He still has a plan and it's good. And there's hope. And if you don't know the Lord tonight, I'm not going to make you come up here. I'm not going to even make you raise your hand, but I'm going to ask you to call out to him and say, I don't have this hope, Lord. Please forgive me my sins and draw me unto you so I can have this hope. He is the God of all hope. There can be hope that you, you will not lay dead in your grave that you can be resurrected to eternal life with him. Just take a minute. Don't let this moment pass you by. If you would like someone to pray with you, we've got people available to pray with you. Is there anybody, just by the show of your hands, anybody need someone to pray with you? I thank you for this word of hope. God, you're the God of all hope, Lord. No matter what this world throws at us, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what we see with our eyes, God, hope is unseen, Lord. We trust your word. I thank you for hope, Lord. I thank you for this incredible hope, Father. We just give you praises and glory and honor. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Get your